At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And welcome to Birds 365, the Black Friday edition. It's not all that black if you watch yesterday's Cowboys Raiders. The black was the was Raiders pretty, who was, came up big. Yeah. But he's pretty up pretty black from a number of standpoints, Jody. Uh, that was an ugly game. That was an ugly day of football. Let's just put it that way. See, now I uh, we start by disagreeing. I, I would not call it ugly at all. Six the first game, penalties. The first game, the Bears and the Lions. Yes, it wasn't high-quality football, but it was decided on the last play of the game. Last well, play of the game. I actually tweeted that. I said, that's the NFL's secret. That's their secret. There's so many games that are close and decided on, on the last play, the last drive, the last, you know, overtime, one-score games. And they're exciting in the final moments. Yes. And, and people forget the 55 or 60 minutes you had to get there. And they say, oh, that was exciting. But I looked at the 27 stinking penalties and officials deciding the game, and I'm like, oh. Oh, this league. But you know what? I always say, we've talked about this a lot, Jody. I mean, everybody watches. At yeah. The worst game last night in the rain, it'll probably be last night. It generally typically does. It gets turned on its head on Thanksgiving, the rating. But we'll see as it shakes out. The, the worst rated game from yesterday will be higher than the top NBA championship game, the top World Series game. Everybody watch it, so they're like, yeah, we don't have to change anything. That's, Correct. That's part of the problem. So even though the quality of play might not have been great in the early game, the fact that it was decided on the last play of the game kind of outweighs everything else. The Raiders-Cowboy game couldn't have been any – well, you're right, penalties. But as far as drama goes and it hanging in the balance – and it taken them four shots to kick the game-winning field goal after a whole lot of laundry on the field. <laughs> it was a great finish to a great game. All right, the Sunday nighter wasn't great. The, the Bills beat the snot out of the Saints, and <clears throat> they did the same thing. They took advantage of the fact that the Saints are all beat up the same way the Eagles did and dispensed with them as easily, if not more easily. Hey, it was good football up until the Bills just put the Saints away. Then I'll be one hundred percent honest. Yeah. I went back and watched Wednesday night's AEW, which I had on tape. I had a couple extra spare minutes, so I get a little wrestling in. Now that the football is no longer competitive, but it was really competitive and good watch for Thanksgiving. And yes, the most important game for Eagle fans went the way that they needed it to. The Raiders beating the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean they both. Everything's coming up. Eagles. The Cowboys lost. The Saints lost. Who are ahead of the Eagles, even though they lost to the Eagles. So now they're behind the Eagles. Everything's coming up. Eagles over the past number of weeks. Uh, so both games went in the direction Philadelphia fans. So from that perspective, yeah, it's all good for Eagles fans. I just look at so 
you know, the, the best game, and I put that in quotations, was the Cowboys-Raiders because it was close. It was overtime. You had all that offense, 509 yards, Raiders, and you had all the penalties on top of it. 166 yards and penalties for the Cowboys. Uh, over 100, well over 100 for the, for the Raiders as well. So think about that, Jody. You have 509 yards of offense, the Las Vegas Raiders plus 166 of penalty yards. I mean, that's there's no defense other than Micah Parsons. So I look at it a different way. I always look at it like Wes Bowen, our buddy from the show, Jimmy Kemsky, they'll, they'll complain about officiating. Nick Fierro's a big complainer about officiating. I was, you know, granted, I was in and out doing some things. It's Thanksgiving. I wasn't paying ultra close attention to the game. One of the criticisms I always hear, and I don't get to watch that, that many games on TV, since they don't show replays of the penalties. Right. Well, they were showing replays of the penalties. And every time they called holding, every single time they called holding, it was holding. It was legit holding. And everybody's killing Sean Hockley on Twitter. I'm checking along on social media. By the way, like, share, and subscribe, Birds365. I'm I'm watching along. What a horrible officiated game. What a guess what? You're late in the season. That sloppy play. Every time you, you get your hands outside a player you're trying to block, that's holding. And they called the holding. So it's not necessary. So I look at it kind of a different way. I saw sloppy football, I saw over-legislated football, but you're a hundred percent right, Jody. It comes down to overtime. It comes down to last play. Everybody's excited. Everybody forgets the sloppy over-legislated football. That's what I think. That gets pushed to the back burner uh, if it is as good a finish as the first two games were yesterday. And let me ask you about the most penalized person on the planet yesterday. That was Anthony Brown, the defensive back from the Dallas Cowboys, who got not one, not two, not three. Four pass interference penalties, including the biggest one in overtime, which basically handed the Raiders the game-winning field goal, although that took about 10 extra minutes because they had penalty after penalty after penalty leading up to it. Uh, the last one, I uh, I, don't I like watch it. more football on TV than like you it. do because you're there at the game. I'm here uh, working for CBS and watching every single game and jumping around. And I will say this. They don't always call the penalty that they called on Anthony Brown in overtime because he blatantly never turned his head on the play. He was covering him face to face. The ball hit off the back of his helmet. That'll tell you how much he didn't turn around on the play. Mm. And we've always been told that that's a penalty. You must at some point make a play on the ball. You must turn to see where the ball is coming. Even if the half turn. You got to turn. You can't just face guard the guy. I've seen more of them letting that uh, players get away with that this year. That they yeah. don't always call that. It used to be we were told that's a penalty. It's a penalty. You got thought about just like you were talking about holding. Yeah, I saw it. It was holding. You might not like that it's holding, but it's holding. And if it's holding, they can throw the flag for holding. They don't always call that anymore. And they 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 used to be that they did every time. D back didn't turn his head. Boom! There goes the flag. They let players get away with that more this year that's why i thought they might let him get away with it there but the flag rightfully came out 
Yeah, that's one of those I have a difficult issue with because I think the problem is more with the rule than anything else, and they put too much on the plate of the officials. And, uh, you know, I feel for defensive backs in this league. I, I thought it was funny that, you know, Steve Nelson, the Eagles corner, who obviously, you know, should be happy the Cowboys lost the game, his immediate reaction on, on, on social media, and I'm just pulling it up as we speak, he tweeted, cornerback is the hardest position to play. Wide receivers can literally push, pull, claw their way to get open. And as a DB, you just have to play the ball, question mark, question mark. You know how leaping hard that is? Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's a penalty. I compare, I've compared this for years. To me, it's like the NBA when a shooter jumps into the defender. You're rewarding, in this case, you're rewarding – the the bad underthrow of the corner cornerback and the guys just trying to get back and play uh plays receiver. I so I don't like the rule. I also think they make it difficult for the officials because people are upset. If you like the Cowboys, you're upset. If you hate the Cowboys, you love it, and vice versa. But guess what? It's gonna happen to your team. It happens to your team all the time. And it, it, it's not about a certain team on a certain game day. Um my my estimation is, it, it, and by the way, I'll also throw this into the mix, Jody, because I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I think these coaches, and there's far too many of these coaches, give up possessions. You saw a couple third and 32s in Detroit. Throw it up. Throw it up and let the receiver come back into the, into the defensive back. You might get a cheap first down. That's how much they call that. I, I don't understand people giving up possessions. But I think if you if you if you go the NBA route is my comparison. They're finally trying to get that out of their game. If you go that route and you say the defensive back has the same right to that space as a receiver coming back to him, I think it's easier on the officials. I think it becomes more consistent. I think you have less problems. But again, this league doesn't care. They don't care. The bottom line is. The game wasn't decided by the players on the field. That, to me, is always depressing. To other people, they just like that the Cowboys lost. It will hurt the Eagles at some point. They will get that call against them, and you'll be incensed by it. Probably. And I think that these referees certainly had a big hand in the outcome of yesterday's game, but uh, both quarterbacks are pretty damn good. Uh, and yeah, the Raiders got they, they got a big stop in overtime, and then they went right down the field and got a field goal, aided by a quasi questionable pass interference penalty. But uh, I think the players did have a lot to do with the deciding of that game. And yes, the Cowboys lost. And yes, I'm seeing a lot more people come along to the line of thinking I had earlier this week that the Philadelphia Eagles are not necessarily out of it yet. In the NFC East. Yeah, they are definitely in the wild card race. Uh, Nobody was debating that. But uh, when I said after the Eagles won last week and the Cowboys lost last week, you know the Eagles could actually get to within a game of the Dallas Cowboys going into that last game of the season. We know week 18 showdown, Lincoln Financial Field, Eagles-Cowboys. If you're within a game, you can actually tie for the divisional lead. Now, you know, also last week I did a little homework on the matchups and whatever else. And I said, between the next two games, the 
the Cowboys have, the uh, Saints and the Raiders. It would be more advantageous to the Eagles if the Cowboys lost to the Saints rather than having lost to the Raiders. Oh, that ain't that ain't that ain't gonna happen. Those Saints. Woo. Woo. Speaking of the night game. Well, here's, who knows? You know, here's the bad news with that. Um if the Eagles get to within a game, and let's say the Cowboys beat the Saints like next week, uh, or yeah, it's next week. It's one week. It's the Thursday game. As a matter of fact, the Cowboys don't get a benefit of playing the early week for another week down the road because the Saints and Cowboys have to play each other next Thursday night. If the Cowboys win that game and the Cowboys go two and one in their three division games and the Eagles go three and one in their division games and the Cowboys lose to the Cardinals, which they absolutely can do, and the Jets beat the Eagles, which they better, they're going to come into that last game, one game back to the Cowboys. And, of course, they beat the Cowboys, then they would finish in a tie. They'd be one-and-one head-to-head. Both teams would be four-and-two in the division. In common games, they would be dead even. In conference games, they would be dead even. The next tiebreaker is strength of schedule. And for those who don't know what strength of schedule is, I'll give you a quick explanation. It means what your record is in the games that you won and the record of those teams that you beat. And you would compare the Eagles and the the Patri- uh, Eagles and the Cowboys. Well, they play 14 of the same games out of 17. Their schedules are almost exactly alike. Same divisional foes, same other division within the conference, same other division out of the conference, which, oh, by the <laughs> way, both of them went one and three against the AFC West. There's only three games on the schedule for each team that the other team doesn't play. For the Eagles, it would be the Jets and the Lions would be their two wins. They lost to, oh, oh the 49ers. The Cowboys, if assuming they lose to the Cardinals, would lose uh, to Arizona. But their two wins would be over the Patriots and the Vikings. So you would compare the Eagle two wins against the Cowboy two wins, strength of victory, how good were the teams they beat? Yeah, the Cowboys are going to win that one because they played legit teams and beat legit teams, and the Eagles will have beaten the Jets and the Lions, (laughs) who are two of the worst teams in the National Football League. So it's not even get within one game. If the Giants, if the Cowboys beat the Saints next week, the eventual tiebreaker and you got to get four tiebreakers down before you get to the one that decides that one is still very much in the uh, Cowboys favor because they just played a harder schedule. Yeah. uh, And when you get that deep and that's why I'm not focused uh, at at this stage, I'm not focused on the division. I'm focused on the wild card. If I'm an Eagles fan and, 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 you know, right now, uh, the Saints were the last team coming into this week. Uh, now it flips to the 49ers, would be the seventh seed. Uh, the sixth seed is uh, Minnesota. Those two teams play each other this week. Um, it's in San Francisco. Um, Vikings have a lot of COVID issues. They have a lot of uh, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson's going to be out. So San Francisco's looking good in that game. Uh, you start to look ahead. The Saints, I think, 
I don't want to say they're in the rearview mirror, depending when Kamara comes back, be, depending when the tackles come back. But I think you might be seeing Ian Book at some point for the Saints at quarterback. That's that's how bad it's gotten down there. So you can at least say, oh, I passed the Saints. Um, here, here's how I look at it from the Eagles' perspective at this point, Jody. We're in the just take care of business phase of the schedule. I mean, you have back – look, it's always tough to win on the road in this league. We know that. You, The, the Frank Sinatra portion of the schedule, as Ed Kratz likes to call it, New York, New York, back-to-back weeks. I'm at the stage where you got to win both of those games. No excuses. Considering the disarray the New York Giants are in right now, and you know better than anyone the issues with the New York Jets, you got to win these football games. And you have the Giants again uh, 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 at Lincoln Financial Field. That's a game you have to win. And then you start talking about the two games against the Washington football team. And as you mentioned, week 18 at Dallas, that's probably going to decide things, how you handle those three games. If the Eagles aren't able to win both of these games on the road, I can't believe I'm saying this. It, it would be such a grave disappointment. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah, they're going to be favored both times. Yeah. They're already the favorite with the Giants. It's been at three and a half. It hasn't moved much. Uh, it may move before the game. I think, if anything, it's going to go up. I think it will go up to four rather than come back down to three. But they're going to be a favorite. Unless Zach Wilson goes out and throws six touchdown passes this week in his yeah. triumphant return. And, and by the way, this is the crazy NFL year. You know, because of COVID. Yeah, you always got to keep an eye on the transaction wire. You always got to have your fingers crossed. If you lose the wrong player at the right time, blah blah blah, right player, wrong time, um, it could it could just derail you. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, I, I was impressed with the Cowboys with is they lost Amari Cooper on the COVID list. CD Lamb wasn't able to get through the concussion protocol um, in, in, on a short week. And they're still racking up 400-plus yards of offense. They still got receivers out there making plays. Uh, and they're they're in a shootout until the very end. Uh, so you always have to throw that into the mix as well. Uh, you might lose the wrong player. Uh, we've seen what injuries uh, have done to the Saints. Completely derailed that. That looked like a playoff team early in the season with Jameis Winston. I can't believe we're talking about how important Jameis Winston is, but there you are. Um, So, you know, things change quickly in the NFL. But as we stand right here, the Eagles are relatively healthy. Darius Slay, by the way, was back at practice in a limited fashion on Thanksgiving. Obviously very light workload, but that's a positive sign that he'll be out there Sunday. Uh, He'll be able to get through the concussion protocol. And even something like that getting through a concussion protocol on a short week versus a, a regular week. That's meaningful. All this stuff matters. Everything is breaking the Eagles way right now. And it was funny because I was on uh, CBS uh, yesterday, uh, not thank, uh, yesterday, thank you, but the day before and had a uh, Dallas beat guy on. And he said the Cowboys were optimistic that uh, CD lamb was going to be able to play on Thursday. And I said, how is that even possible? when he got concussed on Sunday and it's supposed to be a week long protocol and you think you're going to be ready in four days. Yeah. I know. I didn't understand that either. 
it's a five-part process, and I've always been turned if you if you do, and that's how it's shaken out for the Eagles if you do get cleared at Saturday. So I didn't understand that as well, did he? I don't I don't there's a lot of people there's there there's not a lot of transparency when it comes to the uh, concussion, concussion protocol no. in the NFL. No, 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 no. no. Um, and as as I said, I've been I've always been told and that's the way it is shaken out for the Eagles because it happened over the past two weeks uh, with Josh Sweat. And who was last week? I'm already forgetting. Who, who had the concussion last week and was able to get back on the field? I'm For the already, Eagles? Dallas yeah, Goddard. Dallas Goddard. Uh, and they were cleared, technically cleared Saturday. Um, and Slay's on that same path um, to be cleared Saturday. So, yeah, I didn't get that either. So I uh, wasn't surprised when he didn't play. That's why I didn't think it would be quite as high scoring a game as it turned out to be. 36-33. Didn't see that one coming. But it's a good thing for the Eagles because the Cowboys have now lost three of their last four games. While the Eagles have won three out of their last four, the Cowboys have lost three out of their last four. And all of a sudden, the uh, NFC East division has become a race again. I would right, take our first time out of the day. He's John McBone. I'm Jody McDonald. Mac and Mac guys on Birds 365. Have you been able to reach game day Kratz? Uh, I'm looking at my phone. No, he had about 20 people over at his house uh, oh. yesterday. So he might be big, uh, big fam day. So uh, yeah. stay tuned. We may get Ed Kratz up, which, by the way, didn't he pick the Eagles last week? Even though I think he had picked against them every week in the season up until that point, is that no? He is had, that he, a- he was a homer early in the season. He picked the Eagles early in the season. He was wrong a lot, uh, and then he turned and he started picking against them. Uh, but no, I he picked them last okay. week to win. I I think he did jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. So now he's back on the bandwagon. Yeah, he's back he, on he, that he's bandwagon. He's picking them to beat the Giants. I can confirm that. Uh, okay, uh, we may punch up game day, Kratz. We'll we'll see about that. You have to stay tuned to find out. And we are definitely punching up again. I booked him. I think was back on Monday. Uh, Smart I, doing it before Thanksgiving. I, that's what I try to do. But now I have a fear that I'm going to send him a text. That he's going to be sound asleep or out <laughs> doing Black Friday shopping or whatever. No. We are scheduled to talk to Bob Glauber, um, a longtime writer for the for Newsday out of New York. Uh, giant beat guy covers the entire National Football League is a Hall of Fame voter. And oh, by the way, some good news for some Eagles potential Hall of Famer yesterday that John and I will talk about at some point today. We'll certainly talk about with Bob Glauber, who will join us in hour number two. We're hoping to get game day Kratz up here in hour number one. Anyway, we slice it. There's no reason for you to go anywhere else. Stay right here. Like us. I'm still trying to figure out why this uh, hitting the like button is so important, but I'm told it is. So I'm telling you, I'm asking you, be thankful for your Mac and Mac guys here yes. on Birds. It's all about the algorithm. Just do it. Just hit that like button. Just hit the like button with Mac and Mac on Birds Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. 
What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa & Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. You got the Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Appreciate you tuning in. We certainly hope everybody had a very happy, healthy, and well-fed Thanksgiving. Johnny Mac, what was the uh, best thing on your Thanksgiving table yesterday? I'm a big stuffing guy. I oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. So that's always uh, that's always a big moment for me. That right. that and that and the alcohol. <laughs> I I did not have any alcohol yesterday, but I had a lot of stuffing. Um, you any specific type of stuffing? I love it all, man. I love it. If you have stuffing out, I'm going to eat it. Did they, they, and I say they, I'm assuming Mrs. McMullen, I don't know if you ate out or with family or friends or whatever, who prepared the stuffing? She did. So it was spectacular. She's in the next room. So Is she? Good. Uh, and I, I believe that our stuffing was spectacular, but I will tell you right now, there's no question in my mind that if you and I had sat at the same t- table and you had your stuffing, I had my stuffing, your stuffing is going to come in second place. Oh, all right. Because my wife makes a mushroom stuffing that is ungodly. And I mean, there's so much other stuff in this, heavy on the butter. So I know it's like clogging my arteries, <laughs> but it is unquestionably the most delicious stuffing I have ever had in my entire life. My wife got the wedding from my mother-in-law's next door neighbor down in Louisiana. And you know how rich they cook down south. 
oh, this stuff is so good. And she makes such a big amount of it that I'll be eating it for the next three days. So if I if I kill over and die here on Birds 365 yeah, at yeah. any time, I'll, I'll you'll know right why be, it is. Yeah, I'll be right behind arteries you. from mushroom stuffing, guaranteed. I'll be right behind you. And it was interesting because our buddy Ross Tucker uh, was in Dallas yesterday doing that game. So he had the Cowboys spread uh, for Thanksgiving, and they have the best spread in the NFL always on, on a regular day. So they have the whole Thanksgiving um, uh, theme obviously going. So Ross was pretty happy as well, uh, and he wasn't even home. And that's that's positive. All right. Now, uh, when you say Cowboy spread, are you talking about on an any game day spread? Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Specifically Jerry. for it, it, is, it is unbelievable. They might not have won a Super Bowl in a very long time, but they are the undisputed champions of press box food spread. And, and second place ain't close. Let's put it that way. I'll take your word for it. You know, I've been to the Cowboys Eagles. Uh, as just a fan, I've never actually been, and forget about in the new Jerry world, I wasn't back, I had never made it in, in the old stadium. I've been to uh, had several games between Eagles and the Cowboys, but I've never made it to the press box. So I'm going to take yeah, the word people, for it. Yeah, people hate when I bring this up, but they, they run a class outfit down there. Uh, not necessarily successful on the field. I'll give you an example. All the employees at, uh, at AT&T Stadium, um, have tailored uh, uh, sports jackets. Tailored sports jackets. Uh, um, he runs a class outfit. But I, I, I will add, for a stadium uh, called AT and T Stadium, and I don't want to, I don't want to disparage a future uh, advertiser, but I'll throw it out there. And uh, wireless ain't great. You would think AT and T Stadium would. That's the same thing with MetLife. And one of the big sponsors, they have sponsors, they like uh, have four major sponsors and each get a quarter of the season. One of the stadium. One has one entrance, one has the other entrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Pepsi Gate. I'll be going in the Pepsi Gate. You're going in the Pepsi Gate. Well, one of them is a cellular provider. And you would think if that's the case that I, I used to believe that my service stunk because my service isn't the one that is a sponsor at the stadium <laughs> and thought maybe they're blocking me from being able to get reception on my phone here in the stadium. Uh, that still may be the case, but the same thing with uh, MetLife. It just, I can never get updated scores. I have to rely on the antiquated one on the scoreboard. Ooh, that's torture. To. That's torture. I think, I think a lot of these stadiums now have open Wi-Fi networks. So, the fans, obviously, there's 75,000. In Dallas, there's 100. <clears throat> um, and you got 100,000 people trying to get on the same Wi-Fi network. But that's not scientific. That's just my thought. Might very well be. All right, uh, Johnny, let's talk about Sunday's opposition. We did on Wednesday, um, watching the Giants play last week, Monday night, national game. They look pretty putrid. Uh, the offensive line is not good at all. They don't block well. Uh, they don't open up holes in the running game. Um, they're just a red-hot mess right about now. And you often chide me about 
when you get out on the wrong side of Jody McDonald, there's no coming back. There's just <laughs> he slams the door shut yeah. on you, and that's all there is. And it takes a very high bar for me to get to that level. But your estimation of me is 100% right. Yes, when I get out, you're out. And you're out, and you're not coming back in. And I've been like this for um, Daniel Jones for two years now. And I just don't think the guy can play. Uh, you rightfully said the other day he's a tough judge because the Giants have so many issues, specifically on the offensive line, injury to Saquon Barkley, injury to their wide receivers outside, that he is difficult to judge. Because No, he's not. Because the body of work is big enough that I've seen enough games of him when there has been decent enough protection for him to have time in the pocket, for him to be able to deliver the football when infrequently their wide receivers or tight ends do get open enough. He's just not good enough, plain and simple. Uh, on a weekend, we got bases. I think it's rather obvious. Some weeks there are explanations. Others there aren't. He's just not that good, and I stand by that. And here's the beauty of it. I think the Giants are going to be foolish enough to go with him another year. Even after this year, they're still going to have Daniel Jones as their quarterback this week. So, yes, I uh, my, my worry about the Eagles winning the game this week is minimal. Even though it is on the road, even though it is a divisional opponent, it is the dumpster fire that is the New York Giants right now. I don't think the Eagles going to have an issue. Yeah, well, they shouldn't, and that's what I kind of said. This is, you know, take care of business portion of of the schedule. This is a bad football team right now, a bad football team who also happens to be in disarray. Look, you don't fire your offensive coordinator on a short week that also has a holiday. Holiday, short and holiday. Yeah, um, unless you're desperate, unless you're trying to say something and 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 scapegoat and. You know, Joe Judge was asked that question um, on his conference call with us, and I gave him credit for even doing the conference call, by the way. So I do give him credit for that. But, um, yeah, he's scapegoating. No question about it. Now, obviously, he denied it. But you want to point the finger at somebody to try to save your own hide, so to speak, and that's Dave Gettleman as well. You might be right about Daniel Jones. I don't get to see him play that much. Um, he certainly hasn't played well. I certainly wouldn't have taken him number six overall way back in the day. I thought he was overdrafted to begin with. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me. But I do, do, I do look at that offensive line, and I do bring up, and Derek Carr played yesterday. I mentioned this on the show earlier in this week. What's the difference between Derek Carr and David Carr? David's got more talent, actually, more physical gifts. Derek had turned into the good, you could argue, really good NFL quarterback at times. Um, David was shell-shocked, man, uh, behind one of the worst offensive lines in NFL history. And, again, I'm, I'm, I'm probably um, overstating it with Daniel Jones because I don't think he has that kind of talent as, as somebody like David Carr had. Um but I, but I got to tell you what the Giants, man, and, and by the way, they've tried to fix it. You know, Andrew Thomas was, what, what, what the heck was he? I think he was the fourth pick in the draft, Jody. Um, you know, Will Hernandez was a second-round pick. Matt Pert was a third-round pick. Nate Solder got a big-money deal, was a good player in New England for years. Um, 
they tried to fix the issue, they can't fix the issue. And, you know, all you have to do, you talk about, I just talked about Daniel Jones was six. Um, um, Andrew Thomas was four. Saquon Barkley was two. <laughs> when you're picking that high, you're the Detroit Lions. You stink year after year after year. And they've been on this treadmill really since they they moved on. They made the big mistake and they moved on from, from Jerry Reese and the structure and the continuity of that organization that was having some down years. And I would argue they were having down years because of the the fumes of the future Hall of Fame quarterback that shouldn't be a Hall of Fame quarterback, um, Eli Manning, they would have righted the ship with those guys if they would have stuck it, if they would have stuck with the continuity. And since then, it's been revolving door at coach, bad coach, bad coach, bad coach, revolving door at GM. They made a bad decision there. It's what happens in this league. Now, I'm not arguing... Yeah, I'm not arguing continuity because they shouldn't stick with this group. So now you got to find the right group, and that's hard. But when you have when you have a proven group, Jody, you have to understand. You have to have the patience to understand this sport is cyclical. When you have a proven group, it doesn't mean everything's going to be great at all times. But if you stick with it, guys who are proven, they know how to do it. They'll do it again. And that was, you can go all the way back to Jerry Reese for where the Giants made their mistake. Now they're a freaking laughing stock. They are. Agreed. And you just said you give uh, Joe Judge credit for doing the uh, out-of-town media gathering thing during a short week, during a holiday week. It doesn't mean that Joe Judge is doing a good job or that you think he's a good no. coach. You're just giving him credit for doing Hand his job. And, yeah, He could have ducked and hit if he wanted to. He didn't. Uh, I do the same with Dave Gettleman, like you. I, I give him credit for acknowledging when he took over, our line stinks. We're terrible. I have to put resources toward this offensive line. And you ran him down, and he did. First round pick, second round pick, third round pick, the highest paid left tackle when he gave him his money, Nate Soldier. So number one, he recognized and acknowledged our offensive line stinks. Number two, he did go out and put resources toward getting new hog mollies. That's his favorite word for the big guys up front who uh, have to do the dirty work and the blocking. It all becomes irrelevant if you can't pick the right guys. It, just acknowledging your shortcomings, nice, so what? Uh, spending money, draft, pick cap draft capital on it, so what? If you're going to do that and then pick bad players... It doesn't matter. You can give the guy all the credit for effort and thought process or whatever. It all comes down to just one thing. Get it right. Get players who can play. The Giants have not done that on the offensive line. That's why they still stink. That's why Daniel Jones is never going to be a franchise quarterback. That's why Saquon Barkley, who, oh, by the way, I love. As much as I take shots at Daniel Jones, I defended to the hilt the pick of Saquon Barkley because I thought he was going to be a once every 10 year type back. And I do think you can use a second overall pick in the draft for a player. If he is that good. Well, he hasn't been that good in the NFL. A lot of it has to do with injuries. And when you take a running back, you're taking that risk. Running backs get hurt. They do miss time. They take shots. 
So I knew that when I defended that pick at number two. But, yeah, they have not come close to fixing the offensive line, which means no running holes for him either. And that's why right now the New York Giants offense stinks. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And that's why, you know, it's not sexy. Uh, we all know it. And people, you know, when we were coming up to this draft for the Eagles and, and you know, I would constantly default to their belief of generally you build up front on both sides of the football. Nobody likes it. They always want the skill position players. The Eagles were able to get that this year and, and Devontae Smith. But it really does begin up front, man. It really does. And especially on the offensive side, I I say it all the time. If you can't block people, what does it matter? You can have the shiniest toys, and it's great. Kadarius Toney is phenomenal. You see him make five moves to gain four yards. What an athlete. Okay, great. You know, you can't block for him. What what the heck is he going to do? You don't have a quarterback that can get him the football consistently. Great. You mentioned Saquon Barkley. Yeah, nobody ever questioned. I thought it was a bad pick at the time. I continue to think it's a bad pick because of the devaluation of the position as a whole. But I never questioned his talent. I never questioned his ability. But what good is somebody with that ability if you can't block for him? Doesn't matter how good you are. Um, So, I mean, it's – and, you know – Sam Darnold was, I think, the third pick that year, so that hasn't worked out. But then you went – I think you went on that run. I know Denzel Ward was up 10. I know Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's the best player from that draft. I forget what he got picked. Um, well, a guy by the name of Josh Allen went later in that draft. Josh Allen. He's yeah, Josh Allen. He's pretty good for the Buffalo uh, Bills. I think that was uh, Roquan Smith's draft. I think it was – Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe. I, I, I'm yeah, running on If they take a Minka Fitzpatrick number two, then. No, no, no. I bet Josh Allen, you know. But, you know, people would have, you know, offensive tackles tend to be in the conversation that high. Offensive guards aren't. You know, if you take Quentin Nelson and you're the New York Giants, you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Uh, and that's, you know, I always talk about player development. There's certain players um, that are ready to go. Quentin Nelson was one of those guys. Um, you know, he was so uh, developed so well. I never heard scouts talk about an offensive lineman like I heard them talk about Quentin Nelson. Yep. Um, but, you know, people don't think that way. And and it's tough to justify taking somebody like that with the second overall pick. So I get it, but um, – Hasn't worked out, to put it mildly. All right. One of the big moves the Giants made this offseason, we talked about Dave Gettleman and him acknowledging he uh, was supposed to fix the offensive line, and he hasn't. They, again, were trying to give Daniel Jones what he needed to prove that he was a franchise quarterback. I did not believe it then. I do not believe it now. I don't believe it's ever going to happen. But, again, they they've attempted to do the right things. They've just failed at it. And one of those, and I know we're just uh, 60% into his first season, Kenny Galladay has been close to a bust for the Giants this year with the amount of money that they paid him. And don't kid yourself, in a capped league, you cannot not talk about the amount of money that a guy is being paid. 
Sorry to say that. People there, I know players can't stand being evaluated that way. And some fans say, I don't care. It's the, once he's on the team, it doesn't matter how much he's making. Of course, it matters how much he's making because you're living in a capped world. And Kenny Galladay eating a whole bunch of money is not a good thing for the New York Giants this year and or potential future years. Again, do we give Gettleman credit for rightfully acknowledging we need an upgrade at wide receiver or does it completely go by the boards? Because, yeah, Galladay isn't close to paying dividends. Yeah, I, I, it's the same thing. I mean, it's a broken record. It's the same thing with Tony. It's the same thing with Barkley. You can even go with Sterling Shepard and, and Darius Slayton, who's actually been, you know, over the years, probably an overachiever. And, and you know, they don't have an issue uh, at the skill position uh, from a, at the skill positions from a talent standpoint. They can't get them the ball. They can't get him the ball because they can't block anyone for the quarterback to get him the ball. Now, maybe maybe the quarterback can't get him the ball. Maybe you're right. Maybe he doesn't have the talent. Maybe he's that bad. But I got to tell you, I know the offensive line is that bad because I can see that empirically. So, it, it you know, it's the exact opposite with the Eagles, who have one of the best offensive lines in football, and you see things starting to head in the right direction. They don't have great skill position talent, the Eagles. They don't. They're, yeah, guess what? For everyone who loves Jordan Howard, you'd rather have Saquon Barkley behind this offensive line. You'd probably like to have Kadarius Toney or a slot receiver like Sterling Shepard instead of uh, Quez Watkins and, and Jalen Rager. Uh, you, you know, the Giants' issues – aren't talent at the skill positions other than maybe quarterback, uh, which is obviously big. The Giants' issues all stem from the fact that they cannot block anybody, period. Agree with you on that front. I um, The Giants did make the move that they made as soon as they got beat on Monday night. Announcement comes down on Tuesday that uh, Jason Garrett has been given his walking papers as the offensive coordinator. And I said this. Uh, with us here on on Wednesday, um, I'm not going to say that this was a faulty decision, that Jason Garrett was not the problem for the Giants. Oh, he was a major contributor to the, the problems with the Giants. Uh, could anybody have done the job with that offensive line? Maybe, maybe not. But Jason Garrett did nothing to uh, open my eyes, to uh, make me believe that he's got football vision above and beyond others. So I, I really didn't have a problem with them firing Jason Garrett. I had a problem with them only firing Jason Garrett and not making other changes. And then, therefore, he gets scapegoated, and that is the exact word I'm going to use. I think they've scapegoated him. Two points on this. Number one, do you think this was a head coach decision? Do you think it was purely the head coach walking into the general manager's office and saying, our offense stinks. I, you guys hired this guy for me before I became the head coach. He's not getting the job done. You've got to get him out of here. Or do you think it was Gettleman deciding, listen, somebody's, we can't just continue to sit here and do nothing. So I have to do something to show that I am trying to win football games from now to the end of the season. Uh, how do you think that decision came down that Garrett got the boot? Um, I I think it was a joint decision 
between the coach and the GM because they're both on the hot seat and they're both looking to blame somebody. <clears throat> and they're both looking now, you know, it look, the Giants aren't going to make a run to the playoffs. They're not going to win a lot of games. But if you start to look better offensively, you can say, oh, look, we got the scapegoat out of there. We're 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 heading in the right direction. Give us another year and you buy some time. I think that's what's going on. Um, Joe Judge set up set this up a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about how ineffective the offense was. So clearly, and remember, he fired his offensive line coach in season last year. Um, so he's been willing to do these things before. Well, you know, I, I saw it here at the end of the Doug Peterson regime, and I say it all the time, when people talk about Jeffrey Lurie changing and becoming more involved, I've heard this from numerous people. He's not more involved. He's always been really involved. Um, he's just scapegoating more um, than he had in the past. And he's, um, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's because you had the success, you finally get over the hump in the Super Bowl, uh, and you start to blame people. I think, you know, you go, but even go back before the Super Bowl, a lot of people don't realize this. A lot of people kind of uh, brush this to the backside, pretend it didn't happen. Jeffrey Lurie wanted Frank Reich out of here after uh, Doug Peterson's first season. He wanted to scapegoat him. There was talk about moving on from Doug, at least a little bit of talk from one and done. They were going to scapegoat Frank Reich, and Doug Peterson said, um, kind of put his foot down at the time and said, eh, no, no, we can't move on from this. And obviously things went in a different direction. Now Frank is lauded. He's great. Everything. They call him up. They get Nick Sirianni. They didn't even want him here in 2017. And then the whole narrative changed. And then after Frank and John DiPolippo left, then, you know, you had the struggles, the window was still open, you had the scapegoat Mike grow. then all of a sudden it was Press Taylor, who, by the way, I can tell you firsthand, they raved about Press Taylor in this organization. What a smart guy. He's going to have, what a great future. Then Doug Peterson took a liking to him. What an idiot. He can't be the offensive coordinator. A lot of scapegoating. That's what happens in this league. That's what's happening in New York. We'll talk about it with Bob, hopefully because nobody's more plugged into the giant, but this is scapegoating. There's no other way to look at it. There is no other way to look at it. And I'm with you. Jason Garrett's probably not the answer, probably a bad hire to begin with. Other than he was a head coach in this league and maybe helped Joe judge a rookie head coach from that standpoint, learning about the job. We talked about the enorm. We talk about the enormity of the job all the time here. He was a head coach in Dallas for a long time. So he could help with some of the logistics, but as a coordinator, probably probably was a bad hire, not the answer. But this is just a dumb time to fire. It doesn't accomplish anything, Jody. It doesn't accomplish anything. And the reason, one of the reasons why I will specifically uh, question the hiring of uh, Garrett, if you were looking for added value, when you take a guy off someone. In your division, someone you played plenty, someone that he's supposed to know very well, well, then you're supposed to be able to show a little results from that. I believe the Cowboys beat the Giants three straight times. They beat them twice. Late. Well, no, the Cowboys were so bad last year. 
What did the Cowboys and the Giants do last year? I uh, try Boy, to I have to look it up. Uh, let's see. Because uh, uh, the Cowboys crushed them earlier this season. Um, and they do have one game left. Last year, uh, Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. The Giants actually won. Oh, it was the last game of the season where both teams were already uh, well no the 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 cowboys the at giants dallas, hung in there at, at dallas they lost 37 34 to go to 0 and 5 um they lost five games to start the season then they finally beat uh washington for their first win then the second game was yeah week 17 they beat dallas uh 23-19 and that was you know to, to that, improve it, to improve to six and ten, and they were upset because the Eagles tanked. Right, it did mathematically keep them involved in the race. But again, just looking at the Giants' schedule, they had lost three games in a row prior to beating the Cowboys <laughs> last week of the season. They got beat by Arizona. They got beat by yeah. Cleveland. They got beat by Baltimore. Yeah, they did. So they were red hot going into that last game, which they won, and I'll give them credit for winning it and keeping their hopes alive. And then our hopes were thwarted by the Eagles when they decided. Yeah, we're not. By really the way, and 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 they had kind of. Um, so I'm looking at their schedule from last year. They kind of righted the ship. They started one and seven. Uh, then they won four straight to go to five and seven, and they're feeling good about themselves. And then they started that streak you were talking about, Jody, and they lost by. 19 points to the Cardinals. They lost by two touchdowns to the Browns. They lost by two touchdowns to the Ravens before they finally beat the Cowboys, and they're complaining about not, yeah, come on. Six and ten, you, you had an opportunity to get that sixth win for a month, and you're losing by at least two touchdowns in every game. Yeah, so uh, the Giants were what they were last year. But they did specifically, I'm just looking at the Dallas-New York matchup because – I'm sure at some point when they were uh, negotiating with uh, Garrett to come in as the offensive coordinator, he said, and by the way, I'll give you a leg up in those two games against the Cowboys next <laughs> year because uh, they're keeping my guy, Kellen Moore, in place. And uh, he and I are like that. And I'll be able to lend in. Well, they actually did beat him once, uh, but they got crushed earlier this year. And Jason Garrett is out of there before they ever get to play the Giants a second time. So the next question, has to be Johnny Mac. What is Freddie Kitchens going to bring to the table? Former head coach of the Browns, who has been the uh, tight end coach, running back coach. He's had a couple different positions with the Giants. Um, he is more tied to Joe Judge. I can pretty much guarantee you that was a judge hire because Joe Judge, when he was a college player, played for Freddie Kitchens. He was a an assistant on the staff uh, in college where both of them were at. Um, what, do you, what do you remember? What are you hearing? What do you know about Freddie Kitchens and how drastically, I say that with tongue firmly implanted in cheek, uh, the New York Giants offense will change this week? Well, I mean, he's he's probably best known for the being one of the one-and-done Cleveland coaches. Um, he was in Cleveland um, – as as the coordinator then they elevated him to the head coach and uh you know you jackson uh would it was that era and obviously you remember how bad the browns were with you jackson uh so he wasn't taking over a great team i think he won six games so you know the eagles mentioned 
they'll look back at some of that Cleveland tape to see what he likes to do offensively. I don't know. Freddie's a pretty big guy, I think. He was in Cleveland. I haven't seen him recently. Maybe he can block. <laughs> Maybe he can go out there and block somebody. I don't know. He's in a bad spot. There's not. What do, what do you think Freddie Kitchens is going to be able to do on a short week with the holiday, as we mentioned? It, and that's why I said the timing. And that's what I asked Joe Judge on our conference call. I asked him about the timing. I said, why now? Why, you know? And he said, well, this is the best decision for the team. You know, a bunch of coach speak. But I, I, there's nothing Freddie Kitchen can do. It's going to be the same offense, at which Joe Judge has admitted, uh, the same verbiage, because you can't change things. You can't change things in the middle of the season anyway. And you certainly can't do it on a short week with a holiday. So it's going to be the same offense with a different name on top calling the plays. Maybe, maybe it's more of the only thing you can point to, Jody, is there's some energy from it. You know, that happens occasionally when you make these changes. You get that short bump of whatever you want to call it. Um where people are a little bit more focused and, you know, that offensive line has taken some significant hits and you might say, well, Thomas has got some talent Solder, you know, used to be able to play and so, so, and so, and maybe they, they, they pull up their bootstraps and show some pride and play their best game of the year. I think that's, that's the only hope of uh, more than any kind of schematic or play calling change. Agree on all fronts, J-Mac. Uh, and remember, Freddie Kitchens at one point was thought to be the quarterback whisperer because in the interim time that he took over, he and Baker Mayfield got on the same wavelength and he was going to be the guy who was going to get the best out of Baker Mayfield and going to be the perfect fit with Baker Mayfield. And then when he became the full-time coach next year, his relationship with Baker Mayfield went to tank too. So the whole quarterback whisperer thing yeah. was a, a nice That's narrative. Bruce Arians. He's the quarterback whisperer. Oh, and, and he can legitimately say it. Uh, Freddie Kitchens cannot. And I am 100% with you in that they're not going to change anything this week. Yeah. They've had two freaking practices. Yeah. They can talk about it again, philosophically. Yes, it's going to be a different voice in the ear. But they're going to have 85 to 90 percent of the same playbook they had in place. They can't try and redo an entire offense in a short holiday included work week. It's got no chance of happening. It's going to be the same giant offense this week that it was last week. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, Nick Sirianni talked about that. And it, it happened in uh, Denver when Pat Shermer got COVID. And I forgot who called the plays, but it was a different. It was a last second, obviously, change. And there's going to be a little bit uh, of a different fingerprint because, um, you know, different people are different people. Not everybody's the same. Somebody's going to call something. But the plays, the scheme, all that stuff is not changing. All that stuff is not changing. And, again, Freddie Kitchens can't make these guys block. Now, maybe the pride takes over. Maybe because they've taken so many hits, they'll play a better game. I, that's your better hope if you're a Giants fan than Freddie Kitchens drastically, you know, becoming Bill Walsh and, uh, as you mentioned, three practices, one, two of them walkthroughs. All right. Now, good luck. 
The only hope the Giants have is that Andrew Thomas, after catching his first step for NFL pass for a that was touchdown, a great catch, as a matter of fact, it's a great uh, catch. It was. It was a a good call and b a good catch. Didn't really have any impact on the outcome of the game because mm. they got their rear ends kicked for uh, fifty nine minutes and fifty seconds, except for that one little ten minute blurb, night ten second blurb. Nice play, Andrew. Uh, yeah, that because of that, he's going to be motivated. Now he realizes he's an NFL player. Maybe I should actually hit someone. Uh, yeah, no, I doubt highly that's going to happen. I uh, yes, uh, John mentioned, and uh, I can confirm. Bob Glauber from Newsday, uh, Hall of Fame voter, NFL columnist, is going to hop aboard with us in about oh. 20 some odd minutes from now. Um, so we will get Bob up. He did confirm. I got a text from him said, yes, he will be aboard. So we're looking forward to that. We hope you're looking forward, looking forward to our number two. Do me a favor. Do John a favor. See, John knows about the algorithm. I don't. Uh, <laughs> so he knows that if you hit like right now on Birds 365, you're going to help him out. You're going to help us out. You're going to help me out. I'm glad you're tuned. And please like us here on Birds 365. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, a.k.a. Mac and Mac here on Birds 365, a football Friday, a little less of a football Friday than usual because we've already got three games logged. Football yeah. Friday leads into a busy weekend of action, less busy because we had three games yesterday. That was damn good football action, all right? A little penalty marred, but <laughs> a game decided on the final kick, on the Boy. final play of the game, great. Another game decided in overtime by a kick on the final play of the game. Great. All right, the Saints are just falling apart at the seams because they can't get offensive guys off the injured list, so they got their heads handed and to poor, them. Poor Dan, Dan Campbell. Ugh. Yeah, he's not ready. He's not ready. By the way, can I, uh, before we move on, can I have one more opportunity to criticize the NFL and officiating? Sure, go ahead. Take, take your best shot. This happened earlier in the season. I can't remember the game. I'm, I was trying to remember it. But you're not allowed to call timeout uh, two times in a row, back-to-back. Uh, -back. Now, as a, yeah. coach, as a coach, you should know that. So, I mean, number one, it's, it's on the coach. However, the rule is that the, officiator, the officials are supposed to ignore it if, if, you're, if you call timeout tight. They're supposed to ignore it. But if they don't ignore it, if they make a mistake, so it's double mistakes, the coach is making a mistake, the official is making it, then you have to call it. This reminds me way back of my buddy Jim Swartz, who the beginning of the end of his tenure in Detroit was a Thanksgiving game where he was so upset about a missed call on the field, he immediately threw the flag out of frustration to uh, review the play. It was a turnover, though, so it was automatically re reviewed. At the time, Jody, it was a 15-yard penalty if you did that. And the turnover was uh, obviously went the other direction. So it was the double mistake. Now, the, the NFL eventually corrected that. I hope, and they changed the rule. I hope they changed the rule. Look, coaches... I you you should be smart enough to know you can't call back to back timeouts, but if you're telling officials to ignore it, and then they don't ignore what they're supposed to do, and then you penalize the team, that's dumb to me. That is really dumb to me. All right, uh, I'll tell you why I think you're wrong, and then I'll uh, once again 
put Dan Campbell in the proper perspective wow, that he should be in. Um, you're right. You described it well. Referees are advised. They're not mandated. Let, let me finish, Johnny all Mac. Right. All right. They're advised. They're not mandated to ignore the timeout call. Here's what I think happened in yesterday's game. And you can say the ref made the subjective wrong call, but I think he has the right to make it. What happens if the other team only has nine guys on the field? And you choose not to give them the timeout because you're mandated to not give them the timeout. And the guy throws a touchdown pass because the defense wasn't right. They only had nine guys in the field. No, they have to make a judgment call, which referees do on basically every play of the game, as to what gives the team the biggest disadvantage. Taking the penalty after throwing the, I'm giving the, the, Jody the Mac roll of the eye. Or actually giving them the timeout. To prevent a maybe a big play. That's what I, I think happened. And the thing that underlines everything is you're an idiot, Dan Campbell. You can't go back to back that, timeouts. That That's the mandated part of it. You cannot call back to back timeouts. And he did. I'm so not I'm, he be I'm, cut I'm, any I'm, slack. I'm, I'm not as talented as you as the rolling of the eyes. So I don't know if you caught my rolling of the eyes. Um all right. I, first of all, I agree with you. I mean, ultimately, it's the head coach's fault. You shouldn't be stupid enough. So, to me, it's pretty stinking simple. Then say it's a penalty. Don't leave it to the advisement of the officials. Don't say, oh, they'll do it here. They won't do it here. Because then you create all these issues. Why are they ignoring it for one team? Why are they doing it for one team? You gave a good example of why. I don't care. Then say, all right, you call timeout twice. It's a penalty 100% of the time. Or if they say, no, you're not supposed to call it, and that's how it was explained to me, not supposed to call it, then blame it on the stinking officials. Don't blame it on the stupid head coach. But granted, we can't agree it's, it's a stupid move by the head coach immediately. But it's such an easy fix. One or the other. If you're going to tell me it's a penalty, great. Throw the flag. It's a penalty. The coach is stupid. Well, I agree with that wholeheartedly, 100%. But, but Johnny, do not he, do he, it the way you do it. Even if even if we agree that the refs don't get it right all the time, the game is officiated by humans, and there's some subjectivity involved. And they give the refs subjectivity on every single play. This is just another one where well, they're subjectively make making call for him. You're already taking hits on social media, left and right. Everybody's on. This is the worst officiated game in that history of mankind. It wasn't. It wasn't, by the way. Yeah. And I'm, the, I'm. By the way, the next one was the game after that one. No, was. no, I'm talking about the Dallas game now. I don't think it was poorly officiated. I think it was sloppy play. As I said, every time there was holding. Now, the one false start, you're allowed to do that. That was a bad call. Um, I didn't see many bad calls in that Dallas game. I saw a lot of sloppy football. Um, but going back to the, the original thought, it's such a difficult job. I'm easier on the officials than 99% of NFL fans. I think fans complain way too much about officiating. Uh, they got a really tough job. They just make it more difficult on them. By bank, all these that's freaking, true. Uh, They're putting more on their plate. Yeah. That's very true. Uh, so make it easy. That's why I said with, with 
you know, with the pass interference calls, to me, it's an easy fix. The defensive back has the same right to the space as the receiver if the receiver's coming back into their space. Make it, it's easier for the officials. Not a penalty. Don't call it. You'll see much less uh, when people get used to it, similar to the NBA rule with the shooter, as I mentioned. In this case, another example. One or the other. Pretty simple to me. Either it's a penalty, call it because the coach is stupid, or tell them to ignore it, and, and, and you want to save the coaches for whatever reason for looking like stupid people, which is part of it, uh, do it that way. Don't don't sit in the middle. Just just fix it. All right. And uh, not, not so much you. You did it just now. The, what annoyed me more was the broadcast team leading into yesterday's game, and I get it a bunch on my CBS Sports Radio National Show. Please stop with the woe is the Lions. Oh, they play hard. Oh, they play close. Oh, they care for Dan Campbell. They lose. That's the bottom line. They lose. If you want to wait till after the fact and they actually win a game and go, yeah, you know, it was coming. It was close. You could see that they were hanging in there. You should don't give it to me before the game. When you're winless, when you haven't won a game all year, don't uh, try and sell the narrative of, yeah, but they play hard. Yeah, but they show a lot of time. Yeah, but they lose. And they lost again yesterday. And I don't care that it was the last play of the game. And that they could have won. They didn't win. They lost. They stink. Dan Campbell is not a head coach in the National Football League. He can give cutesy, biting, kneecaps, sound bites. It doesn't mean the guy can coach. He took two timeouts back-to-back. Subjectivity of the referees aside, he called for two timeouts yep, in a row, right. which was just flat-out dumb. He's not a head coach in this league. And they had, they had two, I think it was two third and 32s. You know, he's calling the plays now. You know, one of them was near more near midfield they started in chicago territory and then started, started going in backwards. field goal range yeah and then started going backwards you know i we talked about the pass interference in the in the raiders game um you know throw it up at that point you know like i said throw it up let let the receiver come back and run into the defensive back don't give up possessions. He's giving up possessions. They're, yeah, he's not He's not head coach in this league. No, right. I, I, he's just not. A couple of quickies for you, Jay Mack, and then uh, Bob Glaber from Newsday covers the Giants. Covers the oh, Giants can I, I, by the way, I want to say this for Chris Franklin because he was on the show uh, earlier in the week, and he had told us uh, the Giants were honored. They're honoring Michael Strahan. Strahan, yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. that. Uh, I just wanted to get that out there. On the Chris. box coverage. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to lift the Giants' no, spirits. it's not. Good luck, Michael. Nice guy. Yeah, you're not going to be helping out the Giants this week. Um, Hall of Fame questions. Three Philadelphia Eagles, former Philadelphia Eagles, are quote-unquote semifinalists for the Hall of Fame vote. They released the reducted number down to the semifinalists. Um, doesn't mean they're in the Hall of Fame. Doesn't even mean they're finalists. It's their semifinalists. Former Eagles. Number one is Dick Vermeil, who over the last couple of years, you've seen some coaches get in. Jimmy Johnson, Bill Cower, uh, different committee votes for it than the writers. 
Um, and we'll ask Bob Glarb about that because he is one of the Hall of Fame voters. And a lot of people are speculating that Dick Vermeil could get in uh, to the Hall of oh, Fame. Oh, he's getting year. in. Yeah, he's getting in. So, are you going 100%? 100%. Wow. All right. I'm not ready to go 100. Um, uh, Ricky Waters is a semi semifinalist, and Eric Allen is a semifinalist. Now, I'm an Eric Allen guy. I've been uh, touting him for years, and every single year he doesn't get in and doesn't make the finalists. I get ticked off and say, what the hell are they doing and the like. Ricky Waters, I'm more on the fence. I don't know that he's a Hall of Famer. I do think Eric Allen is absolutely a Hall of Famer. And I want to add one more guy to the list. And I'm going to ask you to give me your thoughts on all four guys. And we will ask Clobber about all four of these guys, too. The other one's Deshaun Jackson. He got a, another 50-yard-plus touchdown. He is second all-time in the National Football League to only Randy Moss, who, oh, by the way, is a Hall of Famer, in 50-plus-yard touchdown grabs. You think Deshaun's going to make the Hall of Fame? Give me your Deshaun, Ricky, well, Vermeil, you already said, 100%, and uh, Eric Allen's stance on Hall of Fame in the future. Some uh, near yeah, future, I, some well, far down the road. You know, part of it is, and we're, we're lucky to have uh, Paul Domowicz on the show quite a bit, and obviously Paul is the Eagles uh, uh, representative as far as voting, as far as representation. Um, so I know, you know, sort of unfortunately how you have to go about these things is, you know, Eric Allen is next on his list, so to speak, and he's been – uh, pushing Eric Allen uh, hard for years. So I think he's definitely the closest. I don't think Ricky Waters is a Hall of Fame. Very good player. Hall of very good, yes. Um, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame player. I'm surprised he got this far, to be honest. Um, so I don't I don't think, I certainly don't think he's getting in. Um, I think Eric Allen will be closer. Ultimately, I don't think, unfortunately, either will get in. Although, and I will throw this into the mix, sometimes they like to have these themes, and Dick Vermeil is going to go in because that's how they've set it up, and Bob will talk more about that. They might want to go double Eagles, but then you start thinking about Dick Vermeil. Well, you know, yes, he had some great success here, but... Uh, part of his lore is elsewhere as well. So, um, you know, who knows on, on the theme aspect of it. But I would say Eric, Eric Allen is the closest. I, I do want to throw Seth Joyner in there as well as potential future Eagles Hall of Famers. Um, because I think he's got a better case than somebody like Ricky Waters, for instance. Um I did see our buddy Ruben Frank, though, compare him to Derek Brooks. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to go that far. Who, Seth? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to go he that just far went this, You know, Rube, he went, Rube went the stat route, and he went four fumbles. And Derek Brooks was a generational player who kind of changed the game. I, I agree with that, and I agree with you. Uh, and the results are in. Ricky Waters is a semifinalist. Seth Joyner is not. Uh, yeah, I think of Seth Joyner more as a Hall of Fame candidate than I do Ricky Waters. So you and I see it 
the same there. All right, hopefully Bob Glaber of Newsday is going to join us next. He covers the Giants. He's got a Hall of Fame vote. We'll talk about both of those things with Bob Glaber next. But only, we, we might not even talk about it if you don't like the show right now. Go ahead, <laughs> get your mouse, click like Birds 365, and then we'll be good to you. We'll let you hear from Bob Glaber next here on Birds 365. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500, or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You... Could say that. Mega Mac guys here on Birds 365. Uh, when he does, we will punch him up. Uh, quickly, before we get Bob involved here, uh, Jay Mack, you did mention to me on our uh, uh, private chat. Oh, you forgot to uh, give me your opinion on Deshaun Jackson, which yeah, I asked you yeah. as a potential Hall of Famer. Another big touchdown grab from yesterday. A couple more big plays that were ended up as pass interference, which gets you the same amount of yards without getting the catch. Um, his 14th season in the NFL, 
with as many injuries as he's had in the time that he spent on IR. It's more like 10 seasons, over 14 seasons, but he has always been a big play guy. Has his big playability been enough to make the Sean Watson, Jackson? Yeah. You know, it is interesting because he is arguably the greatest uh, deep threat in the history of the NFL. Uh, And yet I don't think he's a hall of famer. And it's one of those things where I, I do think it's about not being as, as well-rounded as most of the receivers that are in that conversation uh, with them. Um, uh, some of the off the field stuff, I think, you know, trickles into it as well. Some of the uh, injuries, as you mentioned, um, but yeah, he's, he, he, he's a sneaky candidate because I mean, nobody's, ever done it better than him as far as being a deep threat in in this league but ultimately i don't, I don't think he's going to be a hall of famer huh? that's why i asked you and we're going to ask our next guest the same question as well mostly we're going to ask him about the giants and the eagles coming up on sunday but since he is a hall of fame voter and he's been doing that for a long time we certainly appreciate his hall opinion uh hall of fame opinion Bob Glaber from Newsday hops aboard with us here on Birds 365. How was your Thanksgiving, BG? Very good. We, we might have a little guest here. Uh, my, my, my cat was invading our studio <laughs> uh, here. But I did want to I did want to kind of wear uh, my my uh, well <laughs> my favorite hat. But <laughs> how you doing, guys? We're doing we good. Good to see you, Bob. Before. Yeah, good to see you, John. Uh, let's start. We, we were just talking about, because you are, you know, we're lucky enough to have a lot of hall of fame voters. We have Damo on, we had Dion, we had two, who, who'd we have? Jason Cole on, Jody, a lot of hall of fame voters. Deshaun Gary, Jackson, Gary Myers as well. Gary, uh, Deshaun Jackson to me is one of the most interesting candidates down the road because he is arguably the greatest deep threat in the history of professional football. From my standpoint, Bob, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, and I can't really verbalize to why I I think that. So I want to get your thoughts on Deshaun Jackson, especially after he got another big one on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, John, and there are many players in that category of a Deshaun Jackson that said, man, this guy's really good. Um, Do do we consider him? Look, I haven't studied his numbers. You know, he's he's obviously not – not up and not up for, for five years after he retires. But um, I would say just at first blush, he's, you know, kind of a candidate for, for the Hall of the Very Good. Um, the Hall of Fame, you know, you've got to get up a, a, another level. And I don't know if the production over his career is, is enough in terms of transcendent numbers and transcendent performance. But again, I, I'd have to study it closer. But if you're asking me right now, is Deshaun Jackson a Hall of Famer? I would say probably not. And oh, by the way, you're not only going to have five years, you might have six or seven because Deshaun's just going to keep playing and playing yeah. and playing. He, he, he never gets any slower. So I they know. just keep signing him for another year. So it's you might not, you got probably like seven or eight got years. Plenty of time. All the number yeah. crunching out no, I mean, you know, when the, the rule is you have to wait five years until yeah. after a player plays his final game, you know, to be considered. So I listen, he's going to keep playing. I mean, somebody keeps signing him, that guy will keep playing. He's because he's, you know, he's a little guy and he's still got his legs. So that's really all he needs. And I think he can last a lot longer. He's already shown that he can last a lot longer. 
you know, not having um, a lot of weight to carry and not, uh, you know, kind of avoiding contact um, in, a, in a good way by playing on the outside. Not slowing down, is Deshaun no. Jackson. All right, we got a couple other Hall of Fame questions with you, and then we want to get into Giants and Eagles. Um, the semifinalists were named yesterday. Yes. You see the hat? Yeah. Invincible. Invincible. That's my Philly, you know, my Philly, you know. Well, Vince we'll Finale like yeah. for this yeah. spot. Yeah. Well, we, we, we appreciate it. it. Even though we know you're a fraud, you're a giant guy. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate the effort. We, we give you, we give you major no. props for the effort. I was an extra in the movie. It was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I call it my movie. Okay. Yeah. How many movies has McLean been in? We got him on too. He's that been in like been fifteen in, movies. He's been in at least five. Uh, yeah. He threw me a bone with Invincible, so I got my one in. <laughs> McLean. <laughs> McLean is the king of. Yeah. Being the extra in movies. I uh, love it. He absolutely yeah. is. All right. Uh, Hall okay. of Fame stuff. Yeah. Uh, semifinalists named yesterday. Two Eagle players, one Eagle coach. I want to start with the coach because Johnny Mack told me it's 100% that Dick Vermeil is in as the Hall of Fame coach. Are you involved in the voting of that? Is that a different committee? How, how strongly do you feel Dick Vermeil is going to be a Hall of Famer this year? I feel very strongly that Dick Vermeil can and should and will be in the Hall of Fame. I don't have, um, you know, there is a committee that selects a coach each year to be put up for a vote. So I am a voter. I will I will vote on it. Now, the person, the candidate still has to get 80 percent of the votes. Um, Dick Vermeil being the only coaching candidate, he's not going to go down. Right. He's not going to fail to get the requisite number of votes. He will he will get in. Um, it's a different, a little bit of a different setup. They started a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and I, I like it in the respect that it keeps coaches and players away from each other so that they don't cancel each other out. So you have a separate category. I, I still think, you know, you, you probably need a couple more slots among the players, but that's a, that's an age old argument there. Dick Vermeil has earned the right to be in the hall of fame. I will be shocked if he's not in the hall of fame, uh, when we vote uh, in January. And then, you know, I, I know Damo has been pushing for Eric Allen for a couple of years now. Your thoughts on, on him as a candidate, uh, for whatever reason, he's come up short. And why do you think there's that sort of disconnect between us here in Philadelphia and maybe some of the, some of the more national voters when it comes to Eric Allen? Or between Damo and, and yeah. the rest of the <laughs> You want an advocate, you get Damo in there because he will fight like a tiger and he's great. Yeah. He's great in the room. Um, I think Eric Allen will probably have his time. The disconnect probably comes in where it's like, you know, the interception numbers are up there. Um, but was he that dominant um, cover corner? You know, I, I got a chance to see Eric Allen for, for his entire career. And I think he's absolutely up in the discussion and, probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I think what happens is, and we talk about, you know, coaches and players canceling each other out. It's good you have the coaches away. The players cancel each other out because you have 26 semifinalists, you know, for five spots. Yeah. Right. 26 for five. Who are you going to throw out? That's the argument. And, you know, once you start doing that, once you start taking names and say, okay, here, here are 26. You got to pick five. Let's go. 
And then when the rubber meets the road, you say, well, okay, I, I get it. It's really, really hard. That's why it's so special to get in um, because you have survived an intense competition among the best of the best of your peers. Mm, as you just mentioned, 26 to 5. As 5 is, it's not going to get in. But to make the finals is 10, Bob? You cut it down from 26 to 10, is that correct? I believe it's 15. Okay, down to 15. Yeah. yeah. Will Will Ricky Waters be in that 15? We're a little surprised, John and I, that even made the semifinals. Uh, I certainly feel stronger about Eric Allen than I do Ricky Waters. What's your read on him as a Hall of Famer eventually? If not this year, could it be this year? If not, uh, certain players, it seems after the longer they're out there and advance from semifinalists to finalists, they pick up steam and momentum, and then they can eventually get in. Where do you see Ricky Waters over the next couple of years? For who? For what? For who? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I John, agree with Bob. Yeah. John, John, you can see my you can see my my wheels turning. I, know. <laughs> I, I I think Ricky Waters was a very good running back. I don't think he is a Hall of Fame running back. No. You know, yeah. I, and I don't think there'll be much debate about that one. Um, you know, the numbers are are very good, uh, but I don't think they're Hall of Fame numbers, and I don't think in you know, that, that uh, did, did he have those transformative moments, those transformative seasons? And I use those words like transcendent, transformative. You really need to have that to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Waters, another candidate for the Hall of the Very Good. Um, I, I, I just don't see it as kind of having enough to get over the hump of getting into the Hall of Fame. All right, Bob, let's talk about current football, Eagles, Giants. I, you know, I give Joe Judge a lot of credit because, you know, they changed the rules this year. The opposing coach doesn't have to do the conference call with media. Joe did his conference call in a very difficult week with us. And uh, obviously you move on from Jason Garrett. Is there any other way to look at this than Garrett being scapegoated? And you're doing this on a short week, on a holiday week. What 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 good comes from this change at this point for the New York Giants? Well, I actually think the change had to be made at some point. And there there's like Joe Judge says, there is no good point to make that change. A better point would have been before the bye week. Yeah. But but you gotta know that like before the bye week, they beat the Raiders with a pretty good game plan. Jason Garrett realized he had to run the ball, he couldn't drop Daniel Jones back because the Raiders' pass rush is just relentless and the Giants' offensive line can't match up. So he actually had a pretty good plan for that game, and and they won it. And they just kind of, you know, hanging on. But they're averaging 18.9 points per game, right? If you're going to make the change, make it before the season. Uh, I don't think this was too surprising that the, the offense would um, suffer from a lack of creativity. Um, I don't – I think everyone looked at, well, they added Kenny Galladay. They got Kadarius Tony. you know, a couple of receivers who could make a difference. Um, they added Kyle Rudolph, a good red zone target, but it just never worked. So I don't, I kind of credit judge for making this change at least at some point this season. Um, judge is a tough guy. You know, I, I personally hope he kind of weathers through it. Um, he is a stand-up guy. He's an accountable guy. He's 
you know, he's a tough Philly guy who is, you know, going through his lumps right now as a head coach with the Giants. So, um, I, but I do, I do think it was, you know, I do think he had to make a change. You know, they're three and seven. There's still an outside chance of a wild card spot. If they're going to make a run, it has to be here, period. This is as close to a must-win game for your 11th game as you're going to see. So I don't I don't quibble with the decision to let him go. The timing, yes, it was a little, you know, th- there's never a good time. And, and on a short week, coming off a Monday night road game where you got waxed, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's tough. But, you know, they, listen, Freddie Kitchens is going to be almost certainly calling the plays. He's been with the team for two years. So it's not like they're going there. It's not like they're bringing in some guy from the outside and all of a sudden they have to get acclimated to a new system. The system is what it is. I think Freddie Kitchens will add some wrinkles. There'll probably be a few trick plays, a few gadget plays that might or might not work. Um, but they're still they're still kind of beholden to their talent level, which is just not good enough to compete on an every week basis. Hi, Bob. A couple of things. John and I discussed this in hour number one on the show. If you give Dave Gettleman credit for first thing when he's hired, his opening press conference, we need more hog mollies. He acknowledged their offensive line stinks. Yeah. Then he put capital into it. Signed Nate Solder to the biggest contract for a left tackle that offseason. Used first round draft pick, second round draft pick, third round draft pick over the last several years. He absolutely was a man of his word that we had to fix it. But he hasn't come close to fixing it. It, yeah, he acknowledged it. Yeah, he addressed it. Yeah, he hasn't fixed it. Why? Why does the Giants offensive line, three years later after Dave Gettleman stood up and said, yeah, we know we got to get a new offensive line. Why does it still stink? Players. The players aren't good enough. And that's a direct correlation to the players that Dave Gettleman brought in. You know, Solder has actually been, you know, one of the, the, the less guilty players, they put him at right tackle now. They got Andrew Thomas. He's a he's a good, he's a real good quality left tackle. You know, it's a first-round pick. He better be, but he looks like he's panning out. They've had to put Solder at right tackle. They've had trouble filling the guard positions. Nick Gates, the center, got hurt. He's out for the year. They had to trade for Billy Price, a former Bengals first-round pick who has been, eh, you know, meh. They can't run the football consistently. They're protecting a little bit better, but still, you'll see on Sunday that the Eagles' pass rush will get home, and they will overwhelm this uh, th- this offensive line at times. And Daniel Jones will will have his work cut out trying to get rid of the football, especially if Freddie Kitchens is going to have his receivers run down the field. That's that's going to be a tall order. So that offensive line, and D- Dave Gettleman. I assume he'd be the first to admit it. We don't really talk to him that much. He doesn't speak publicly, but a couple of times a year. Um, it has not it has not been good enough. And I think Dave Gettleman will, will not be with the team next year. I think he'll most likely retire at the end of the year. And then you get a really big decision. That's why it's such a complicated dynamic. What do you do with Joe Judge? Do you clean the whole thing out? Bring in another general manager to hire his own coach? Do you keep Joe Judge in that case? Who do you put him with as a general manager? How much input does he have? So this is this is a complicated dynamic for the Giants right now, and that's why it's such a huge time for for this staff, for this coaching staff, and for what happens in the front office. And John Mara is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of big decisions to make again in, in the off season. 
And further complicating things is Daniel Jones. I mean, that's a sixth overall pick at the most important position. How do you evaluate him? Jody's closed the book on him. He'll tell you. He can't play from Jody Mack. How do you evaluate Daniel Jones behind that offensive line? Is that the goal behind this change to try to see a different uh, offensive coordinator to get more information or the Giants kind of figured out and, and said, okay, this probably isn't the guy because they're probably going to have two top 10 picks as it's shaken out. And then you got to start thinking about quarterbacks again. And, and by the way, yeah. Bob, this is, it's very early in the process, but this doesn't look like a great quarterback draft that complicates things even further. Right. You are, sir. Um, so there's the, there's the essence of the, of the problem there. Um I, I equate Daniel Jones, you know, somebody, somebody told me a player told me a couple of years ago, he asked me, how old are you? I said, I don't know what the 50 something at the time. And I go, why'd you ask me how old I am? You think I'm like, I, I am older than I am. I look okay. Or do you think I am just really an old dude? He goes, ah, you look good. Not great. <laughs> By the way, feel free to use that on anybody you like. <laughs> hey, you look good. You know, not great. Well, it's Daniel Jones. Some, you know, hey, Daniel, you look good. You know, not great. He is good, not great. Sometimes he's really bad. Now, last last week he was bad. On Monday night, he was bad. That was that was one of his worst games. But at his best, he can be solid. He can be um, productive. He can get the ball in the hands of his weapons. He can avoid turnovers. He can throw the deep ball um, on, on occasion. He runs well. He's good. Not great. As, as a guy whose job it is to evaluate the entire National Football League when you're a Hall of Fame voter, and we think you're very good at that, uh, give us the overall league evaluation of who would you rather go forward with? Daniel Jones. Good. Not great. Or Jalen Hurts. Well, I I'd feel probably better about if I had Jalen Hurts right now. I think there's more to work with. I've been impressed with what Jalen Hurts has done. I still I still worry about the top end of his um, ability and his talent and his you know how how it will be uh, because I think you know I, I want to see what happens when defensive coordinators kind of kind of figure out what he's doing more. But um, I have been very impressed. I think, I think leadership-wise, off the this guy is prime. He he is great. Not not good, great, right? And he's got these skills that is very hard to defend when when he's on point. Um, but but I I need to see it, you know, consistently, and at a level where you can kind of rely on that. And it's been good. It's been excellent, especially in the last month. Yeah. Uh, but need to see more and and you know from that standpoint bob from the eagle standpoint the sustainability of this particular offense i mean they've been running for over 200 yards three of the past four games it's like 180 uh over the past month as a whole um we've seen it we saw it a couple weeks ago with miami against baltimore um you had this game plan, obviously, Brian Flores being from Bill Belichick's tree. You had all these slot blitzes to try to contain Lamar Jackson. I remember going back to Mike Vick 
you guys, Jody certainly remembers, you might remember, Bob, the Joe Webb game, it was called. I always called it the Antoine Winfield senior game, not junior, senior. It was Leslie Frazier at the time bringing Antoine Winfield off the slot to control the mobile quarterback. People are going to adjust. The Eagles have scaled back on Jalen Hurts, his passing over the past month. Is that out of necessity or are they just trying to win games? Is it sustainable? Do you want to play that way in the modern NFL? Can you play that way consistently in the modern NFL? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, but I think what Nick Sirianni is doing is he's adjusting to what he thinks he has. Um, remember, was it the the, the outcry um, six weeks ago? How are you not running Miles Sanders? What run the football? You know, you, they gain <laughs> ten yards at a clip, and then they're passing. Run the football! Now you now you run football, and say, like, hey, can you can you pass? You know. So I think that Sirianni's good in terms of um, he's being the chameleon. You have to kind of adjust to, um, you know, what you have. Uh, I, I don't think you can kind of live like this for, you know, for a championship team. But I, I commend Sirianni for, for adapting to what he's got. And that's why I say about, about Hertz, I just don't know um, how, how that's going to work over the long term. You're talking about you want – a championship caliber quarterback to be your number one. You know, we don't, we don't know if that's going to be the case with him. He's, he's off to a very, very good start. Um, and in his first year with a new coach, that that's great. Um, so that has to play out over time. Now I think they'll continue to try to run the ball against the giants. The giants have, have not done a good job consistently against the run. So it's easier. It's, it's less, you know, risky. So, so why not continue to do it, especially in a big divisional game, you know, Cowboys coming off a loss. You, you, you want to kind of play your best game and play your smartest game. So I think that will continue at least this week. Right. And my read on the giants all year long since before the season started was they could be okay defensively because of their secondary, Mm -hmm. but I thought that they were going to be able to cover and keep teams from throwing for 300 yards. But when Martinez went down at middle linebacker, I said, well, now it's easy. You just run the ball against the Giants because they're not going to be good, as good with him off the yep. field. And you're playing against their strength, which is their ability to cover. So, yeah, I got to believe the Eagles going to run it 30, 32, 33. Can you actually run the ball 33 times, Johnny Mack, in a game? They're going to on Sunday. Mark my words. Um, who is the guy who's going to have to step up? Is it? Uh, uh, safety? Is it whoever they're using at middle linebacker to replace Blake Martinez? Who's going to be the guy if the Giants actually figure out a way to uh, slow the Eagles down on the ground? Well, I think they'll have to do a better job along the line. You know, Dexter Lawrence and um, uh, and and Williams are, are good players. They're their two best defensive linemen. I think if they can slow that up a little bit. Um, but, you know, you're talking about Reggie Ragland as the, as the, the key linebacker. Tay Crowder calling signals. I mean, you know, these guys Ragland, you know, was a, was a higher round pick yeah. he was on his like third team. And Tay Crowder is a nice, you know, f- free agent type lower round draft pick guy who, you know, he's a scrappy guy. Blake Martinez is a difference maker. I mean, he is a reliable middle linebacker who can cover not perfectly, but against you're talking about against the run and you don't have Blake Martinez. This is where a game, this is a game that it really shows, what you're missing in a Blake Martinez. And I haven't heard that name 
for a while, quite frankly, because he's been out so long. But Jody, you you hit it. That's 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 a huge loss for a team um, that that just has not been able to recapture consistently that that smart, good, effective defensive performance that they had last year. Yeah, Bob, that defense is what, you know, because everybody's talking about the offense for obvious reasons with the Giants and the changes. But I thought, you know, Patrick Graham was really heading in the right direction with that defense. Bradbury had a great year last year. They picked up Logan Ryan. I think he's on the COVID list. He's probably not going to play this week. Dory Jackson's a veteran. Xavier McKinney is talented. Is Blake Martinez mean that much to that team? Well, he, I mean, he does, he's not like the sole reason that they have had a down year, but he absolutely means a lot. You know, he's a captain. He was the signal caller. He was the leader. Um, he was kind of like that heart and soul player where you love to have like a Jeremiah Trotter type guy where you lean on this guy in a, in a big spot. So, you know, not perfect, not a perfect cover guy. But a sure tackler, a guy who could fly to the ball, um, yeah, you miss you miss a hell of a lot with him out. Uh, McKinney has been a guy, a young safety, second-year safety. He's coming into his own. Um, Peppers is, is hurt. He's out for the year with a knee injury. Um, so they, they've had their share of injuries, but, you know, there's still enough left to play better than they have. And they, and they certainly were not good against Tampa. But, but a lot of that was that their offense betrayed them and – kept them on the field and Tom Brady was just tick, 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 ticking it down the field and keeping that defense on for 12, 14 plays at a time. And they got, they were gassed by the end. So 30 to 10 was not really a surprise based on how the bucks were attacking the giants defense. All right, Bobby, last one for me. And then we want to allow you to tell us about the new book. He got out uh, that you co-wrote with Keyshawn Johnson. Looks like a real good one. Um, last year, end of the season giants win their last game. After having lost three in a row, but then get a little uppity because the Eagles didn't give their best effort against the Washington football team, and they ended up backing into the playoffs. That's what the Washington football team did, and the Giants wanted the opportunity to do the same. Some Philadelphia media members, like yours truly, uh, really questioned Joe Judge getting bent out of shape in a couple of the Giant plays. You're 6-10. and ten, Shut up. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> else didn't give you help in the end. You went 6-10. and ten. Um, it became a little bit of a kerfuffle. It's wet, gone way to the back burner because we're already 12 games into the next season and the Giants just fired their offensive coordinator. Is it any topic of conversation either in the Giants locker room or with the media members up there in New York heading into the first Eagles-Giants game this year? No, nothing. Uh, James Bradbury was asked about it the other day, but it and, and he kind of said, he kind of had to, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, look, it's Doug Peterson's not there. Different coaching staff. The Giants, like you said, they're just trying to put out fires left and right in their own building. So there is not that is not a bulletin board item this week. Can't use it, and they won't use it. And Joe Judge, he kind of glossed over it. Um, he he's not going to go there. There's no reason to go there because they they got their own problems, and and it goes way beyond uh, the Eagles not not showing up in that last game. Yeah, and Jody brought it up, Bob. I want you to get it in because Christmas season, obviously it's Black Friday, so it's here. Everybody right. should go online, theforgottenfirst.com. Tell us about Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley. 
Yeah. Who, who am I missing? Bill Willis, I think. Ooh, nice. Bill Willis, yeah. You know, these Damn. guys, when you ask, and I'll ask you, who's the first uh, black baseball player to cross the color line in, in baseball? Jackie Robinson. Okay. So who's, now you mentioned their names before, but nobody knows that these guys crossed the color line in pro football, and it was a year before Jackie Robinson did it in baseball. That I did not know. Two of these guys. Before the first player, black player in the National Football League was before MLB? Yes. Now, he, the, wow. the, all right. Fritz Pollard played in 1920. First black coach. Hey, here's my cat. First black <laughs> coach. <laughs> she is an athlete, man. Yeah. First black coach uh, in, in the NFL uh, in 1921. And then it wasn't until uh, Art Shell in 1980 something. So there was a ban on black players. For 12 years, there were zero black players in the NFL from 1934 to 1945. Zero. The league right now is 70 percent African-American. Well, there had to be first guys. And these guys were at 1946. In fact, there's a. Well, so these guys crossed the color line. Kenny Washington and Woody Strode in Los Angeles with the Rams. 75th anniversary of that year. And then Bill Willis and Mary Motley with the Browns. Uh, for with Paul Brown's team, and in fact, when the when the Browns came into the NFL in 1950, their first game was against the Philadelphia Eagles, who were defending champions, and that was a huge game for in terms of legitimacy for that All American Football Conference that Paul Brown was in. <laughs> Paul Brown beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia that year, and Marion Motley and Bill Willis were huge parts of that game. So it's a story that is just rarely told. Almost never told. And given given this league and how much we cover it and how important that issue is, especially in the last few years, it's it's astonishing how little information there is about it. And Keyshawn and I, I've known Keyshawn for 25 years, ever since he was with the Jets. And we, we thought it was really important to kind of bring that to light, bring these guys' lives to light. They were four remarkable guys who really um, kind of are forgotten by history and we're, we're hoping to just shine a light on that it's a it's a it's a it's a good read and we do bring it forward it's not just a history book about that time there are many many things from that time that relate to today's game sounds like a great read and a uh, great thing for an nfl fan to get their hands on as john mentioned with uh, christmas coming oh today's black friday people are going to be doing black friday shopping get yourself a book for the football fan in your life uh, last thing bg yeah. Did you go to Keyshawn? Keyshawn, go to you. Third party suggest you two nope. guys joining together. What made the combination work? I went to him. I had had this idea for quite a quite a number of years, and I I I needed somebody to help me tell it, honestly. And and I I went to Keyshawn uh, about sixteen months ago, and I said I I got this idea that I'm thinking about. I'd like you to help me with it. Here's the story. Two of these guys played five miles from where you grew up in Los Angeles. He had no idea. He started to get a little upset that he didn't know who these guys were. Nobody knows who they were. I said, don't worry about it, Keith. I didn't know either. So he said, let's do this. And, you know, there was so much symmetry in it. You know, Kenny Washington was the greatest college football player of his of his year in 1939. Didn't get drafted. No black players. He walks off the same Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum field that Keyshawn walks off of 50 some years later and becomes the first overall pick in the National Football League draft. 
and he he there was just just visceral reaction like you know what why don't i know that it's important to know that and when you talk to players and and you and they they don't know about it they don't know about these guys everybody knows about jackie robinson baseball celebrates him every year you know next year 75 years that after jackie robinson crossed the color line there will be huge celebrations and there's there's nothing Maybe we'll see something, you know, the Rams have embraced this. The Rams bought the books for all their players and gave it to them before they played the Buccaneers. So it's it's an important story. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to hawk a book. Sure, it'd be nice to, you know, to have sales on that book. But this is an important story. This goes beyond, you know, just a book. People really should know this story. And the Eagles really factor in um, quite a bit. In fact, Bud Grant used to play for the Eagles. And yeah. Bud, Grant, Bud Grant played with Marion Motley. For the naval uh, at the uh, Great Lakes Naval Academy, uh, uh, and for Paul Brown, Paul Brown coached there, and uh, Bud Grant was he remembered Marion Motley like it was yesterday, and we had a great conversation about it. And he he, he told this story about when he played the Eagles, uh, when he played the Browns. Paul Brown went up to him after the game and said, "Great game, Harry. Great game, Harry." And he walked, he said, that meant a lot to me. That really meant a lot to me because, uh, you know, I have all the respect. He didn't say it to anybody else, just me. Great game, Harry. So a couple of minutes later, I go, hey, Coach, um, you, you, you said, but uh, you said, uh, Paul Brown said, great game, Harry. Yeah. What, why, why did he call you Harry? So Bud Grant, legendary football coach, says, that's my name. Yeah. A lot of people don't <laughs> did know, not that. know that. I, I, I wouldn't have yeah. known that. I did not know that. I, I knew that because really I covered talking. the Vikings for years. That's the only reason I knew that. Yeah, Harry, he says, hey, if I sign a check, it'll be Harry Grant. So, <laughs> yeah, perfect. perfect. Yeah. So many did. of those stories, though, that you know connect uh, to to today's world. It was it was a, a pleasure to write and a pleasure to uh, collaborate with Keyshawn, who has just been the you know a remarkable guy in terms of wanting you know people to realize the history. And, and he mentions a lot. You know, we know about Martin Luther King. We know about Rosa Parks. We've learned about, you know, important black figures. And we know about Jackie Robinson, who was a teammate of, of Woody Strode and Kenny Washington. We just don't know about these guys. And I think in this league, as big as the sport has grown, people should know how where it came from. Yeah. Sounds like a must read for any football fan. Good job out of you. Good job out of Keyshawn Johnson. And feel free to put your blue hat back on. You got your uh, invisible. <laughs> I listen. I you know I I said do I do stick with these guys? They're a little serious, yeah. but that's okay. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's Philly, and it was so fun doing that. Vince Papali was so gracious. You know, we got a chance to meet him and the actors, and it was it was a lot of fun. So forgive right. my forgive my shtick there, guys. We we, yeah. we appreciated your we stick appreciate too, it. and surely your insights, Bob. Thanks. Good stuff. Uh, Jay Mack will see you in the uh, see you Sunday. press box on Sunday. See you. see you, Johnny. Bob Glauber from Newsday Hall of Fame voter, author, The Forgotten First. He told me some things I didn't know that. I think I'm a pretty good National Football League fan and understand the history thereof. A couple of things I guess yeah. I need to get my hands on the book to learn. I always say that with baseball. Everybody knows Jackie Robinson. Nobody knows Larry Doby, but a little bit better. Like Larry was the first American League player, but right. uh, um yeah, football, it's even worse. I didn't know it came before Jackie Robinson. That, when he said that, that floored me just now. I thought yeah. it was after. I thought Jackie Robinson was first and the National Football League was after. Not the case. So seems like a uh, great book. The Forgotten First, Bob Glauber and Keyshawn 
Johnson. All right, uh, forget Barbara and Johnson. It's Mac and Mac that matters. And it's liking Birds 365 that matters. You might like Bob Glauber's, speak much, Bob Glauber's book, but more importantly, is you must like uh, Birds 365, which McDonald and McMullen will come back and put a bow on the show for you. <laughs> At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. All right, back and back, guys. Back to thank Bob Glauber popping on board. Great spot out of him and his book. Uh, really does look like something your NFL fan will want to catch up with and, and learn and uh, become an even bigger NFL fan. Learn the history makes you a better fan today. All right, uh, Jay Mack, when all is said and done, there's nothing left to say or do except to pick the game on Sunday, which is Eagles-Giants. Eagles are a three-and-a-half-point favorite last week. And I hedged and said, if the Saints players are out, if they get one of their time, if, and it ended up, they got none of their players back. So even though I picked the Saints here on the show, I 
did say, I reserve the right to change my mind, depending on what the injury report looks like on Sunday. And yes, I thought the Eagles were going to win when I found out the Saints not only looked like they were decimated, they were decimated. But a loss is a loss is a loss. First time in a long time I got the Eagle game wrong. I was 9-1 in my predictions till last week. You did take the Eagles to win last week, so kudos to you. Eagles-Giants at MetLife. How do you see it coming out, John McMullen? Yeah, I mean, similar to let me, Eagles have had a nice little run here. We talked about Denver missing its two offensive tackles, the Saints missing their two, no Alvin Kamara. You saw how bad they were last night as that continued. Giants in disarray. Eagles got to win this football game, have to win it, will win it 27 to 18. Philadelphia Eagles. You and I are very much in the, the same ballpark. Uh, go slightly higher score on both teams. I will say this, much like last week with the Saints, the Eagles got well ahead, and the Saints caught up, got within one touchdown, needed an Eagle drive to put the game away. They give you just that with Jalen Hurts with the big rushing touchdown to open it up. Then the Saints got an oh-by-the-way score at the end. It made it look closer than it actually was. I think it's going to be the same thing this week. I think the Eagles will be up a significant amount and then the Giants may get an oh by the way touchdown late. I'll give you a final score of thirty to twenty. Eagles win by double digits. You had twenty seven eighteen. So we're oh, right so there. You're, nine, you're slightly below double digits. I'm right nine, at double digits. Ten. Either way, they beat the spread. They're favorite. They win. They should win this game easily. Yeah, I'd be gonna... very disappointed if they don't win this game easily. Same here. Uh, the Giants are just and, – and the Eagles are playing well, but the Giants are just a mess. They're down on the canvas. You can't let them get back up. And neither John nor I think they will. All right, partner. Have a good trip up the turnpike. You'll be back here on Monday. No uh, worried about flights or whatever. All you have to do is navigate the Jersey oh, turnpike, I got right? it, which, which can be an issue, but I think I'll get it done. You I got your I'll easy pass ready to go. Yeah. You should be fine. Uh, J Mac, and you'll be part of the post game show. You got how many other Jacob media appearances are you making? Between uh, who knows? A lot. I got the pregame show, the post game show, the halftime show. Uh, then I'll be back with you on Birds 365. You're on CBS radio today. We get double Jody Mac today. Yes, yours truly filling in for uh, Tiki and Dirty. And I may just sneak in some Eagles Giants conversation for the national audience today. So feel free to check that out too. J Mac, have a good weekend. We'll be back Monday. Thanks, bud. Thank you, Jody. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.